raw. Harmony in Hiding, a four-part series by Michael Paul Tomset, adapted from the book Hiding Horst, Memoirs of a Jewish Boy by Becky White, produced by Raw Spoken, with help from Ross Alternative Works, now known as New Works at Ross Valley Players. As the story continues, Horst is again fleeing in terror from Nazis. After a terrifying two-hour walk, having to duck in shadows, and a few times having to lie down on the cold, damp ground to avoid authorities, we finally arrived at my next hiding place. Wait here. They know you're coming, but I must see if it is safe. He crossed the street, blending into the evening fog. He was back shortly, and we crossed the street. Here he is. The man turned and disappeared into the foggy night. Hello, young man. Come with me. Mrs. Onan led me to their parlor room upstairs. You will sleep here. Tomorrow you'll meet the family. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Get some sleep, Horst. It is Horst, right? Yes, it's Horst. Welcome, Horst. See you in the morning. Good night. Good night. Mrs. Onan smiled and left at that very moment. I realized how exhausted I was. I was finally allowed to relax. I just dropped to the ground where I stood. And I slept, and I slept, and slept. I was woken up by a friendly voice with a tray of delicious-smelling breakfast. Rise and shine? Why are you sleeping on the floor? You're not a dog, are you? Hello. I'm Horst. I'm Robert. I brought you breakfast. We usually have eggs only on Sundays, but Mother said you needed extra nourishment. Marmalade! Enjoy it. That's the last of it. Oh. No, no. Please eat it. Frankly, I'm sick of marmalade. <laughs> I began to take a look around at my surroundings. It was a day room with a photograph, a large bookcase full of books, and something unbelievably wonderful stood in one corner. A piano! Oh, my, my heart raced. How old are you? Thirteen. You? Sixteen. Well, I have to dash. School, you know. I'll come to visit as soon as I can, Freddy. Pardon me? My name is Horst. Yes, I know. But you look like a Freddy to me. Oh, uh, before I go, I'll show you the bathroom. Thank you. I envied Robert going to school. His friends, his freedom. I had not talked to another boy for months. Now I had a friend. I was in the Onan house. There was Mr. and Mrs. Onan. Their youngest son, Robert, and their oldest daughter, Annie, who lived at home due to severe asthma. I met her that morning shortly after Robert left for school. I'm Annie. I'm glad to meet you. I'm Horst. Here. 
She handed me a piece of paper. My mother helps my father in his business, so my job is to keep this house running smoothly. Those are the house rules. Read them carefully. I read them obediently. There were six of them. One. Leave the bathroom spotless. Two. If there's anyone on the second floor, don't flush the toilet. Three. Make the bed as soon as you rise. Four. As you mess up, clean up. Five. Put books back on the shelves when you're not reading them, and don't leave stacked books on the table. And finally, six. If you break any of these rules, you will be punished. Most of all, I hate finding hairs in the sink or tub, and I will clearly be able to distinguish yours if I find one. Any questions? I was curious to know what sort of punishment to expect, but I didn't ask. No, no questions. There may be additional rules needed as time goes on. Remember, this room should never look as though someone is living in it. Your clothes must be folded neatly and kept on the bottom shelf of the bathroom cupboard. You will leave your dirty clothes in a hamper under the sink. Understood? Yes, understood. Thank you. Mr. Anand entered the room. Hello, Annie. Hello, Horst. I am Mr. Anand. Glad to have you as our guest. I'll prepare lunch. I see Annie gave you the house rules. Yes, sir. There are a few rules you must observe, but the benefits will outweigh the inconvenience. Yes, sir. I understand. I am a notary public. My assistant and I receive clients in an office directly below this parlor. You must never go downstairs, never speak above a whisper, and never make unnecessary noise during business hours. I understand. The window faces our backyard garden, so it isn't as dangerous as a street window. We often entertain guests in this parlor. At those times, you'll need to hide in the attic. Come with me, I'll show you. You'll hide up here in emergencies. You'll be expected to study seven hours each day. I've supervised all four of my children's studies. I shall periodically test your knowledge on subjects that will be assigned to you. Is that agreeable? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hitler may have stolen your freedom, but he can't prevent you from learning. Knowledge is free, but I must fill my own container. Exactly. What is it you most want to learn? Music. I took lessons for a few months before going into hiding. I want to study piano. I'm sorry, Horst, but you may not play that one here in this room. The sound of a beginner practicing would arouse suspicions. My heart sank. I wanted to cry. A piano was right there, and I was not to play it. I see. I understand. I play the viola. I will teach you music theory and composition along with mathematics, language, science, and history. I'll study hard. Good. I'll return in the morning with your first assignments. Robert returned to visit before dinner that evening. Hello, Freddy. You meet Annie yet? I did. Behind her back, I call her old bossy. I know it's silly, but I started calling her that when I was in grade school, and it just stuck. Annie has asthma. Her health is out of her control, so she tries to control everything else, especially me. 
The difference between us, Freddy, is that you won't be able to escape her. <laughs> poor Freddy, poor, poor Freddy. Besides being bossy, what else does she do? She's a snitch. She thinks she's a spy for my parents. Everyone else is the enemy. I have another sister and a brother. My sister Magda is a nurse. You'll meet her soon. My brother Frank lives in Paris with his wife. He's a music critic for Le Figaro, the biggest newspaper in Paris. They actually pay him to criticize people. Perfect job for him. He's such a perfectionist and a long-winded bore. His wife is Leah Paula. She's a concert pianist. She is beautiful and very talented. And did I mention she was beautiful? <laughs> and the amazing thing is, she actually likes him. I hope to hear Leah play. Oh, you will. She often comes here to practice for concerts. Here's your supper, Horst. Come and eat, Robert. Why should I? Now! I studied hard and usually did well on, on Mr. Onnen's exams. I learned a lot about classical music from Mr. Onnen, who shared his record collection with me. I vividly remember the Brandenburg concertos, which were played constantly. When I finished my assignments, I always made sure I spent time practicing the piano in my head. As I pressed each make-believe key, I could distinctly imagine its corresponding pitch. I thought about how Beethoven grew completely deaf, how he never actually heard, but only imagined some of his most glorious compositions. The rest of the winter and early spring crawled slowly at an unforgiving pace. Only fear for my life kept me from running outside. I was about to burst. Well, at least I had a friend to talk to. You won't believe Hitler's latest lunacy. All the students must sign an agreement promising that at the end of the term, they'll serve six months in a German factory. Isn't that a pile of crap? There's four months left. The war might be over. <laughs> Have you gone mad? I won't sign their shit agreement. What will they do if you don't? The penalty is expulsion and jail. I didn't sign. None of my friends did either. What does your father say? What can he advise? He's breaking the law by hiding a Jew. What can he tell me? Do as Hitler commands? Be a good little Nazi? I just... I think you should have just signed. I mean, who knows what will happen by the summer? Who asked your opinion? I'm going to live many years after Hitler is dead and buried. I don't want to look back and remember that I pledged myself to him. I won't go back to school. What, and go into hiding? I know what it's like hiding from the Nazis, do you? Looks like we may be fugitives together. I'll just move in with you, Freddy. I was not really amused by the thought of Robert going into hiding. The next day, he didn't go back to school, or the next. Robert had made up his mind and there was nothing anyone could do to change it. He became obsessed with the war. He read books on the politics that helped spark the war's beginning. 
I've been reading this the last few nights. Mein Kampf by Adolf himself. I want to share some of it with you. I won't listen. I won't even look at it. Get it out of here. That would be a mistake. The very same mistake most people made after Hitler wrote this in 1923. Even now, no one wants to understand the enemy. Think of this as an opportunity to pry open and examine a dictator's brain. Just one passage, Freddy. Then, if you don't want to hear any more, I won't force you. He proceeded to read from that vile book. Through clever and constant application of propaganda, people can be made to see paradise as hell, and also the other way around, to consider the most wretched sort of life as paradise. Listen to this. The size of the lie is a definite factor in causing it to be believed. The primitive simplicity of their minds renders them more easy prey to a big lie than a small one. The German people have no idea of the extent to which they have to be gold in order to be led. How is it possible that a whole nation listens to that man? The Germans' knowledge of Hitler is limited. The only contact they have with him is through his voice. He identifies the source of their misery and promises a glorious future. You want to hear something scary? It's all scary. I heard one speech where he described how Jewish materialism disgusted him. He compares himself to Jesus Christ running into the temple when it was taken over by merchants. I wonder if he really believes what he's saying. He should be locked up. Locked up? Boy, you're certainly letting him off easy. He deserves to burn in hell. I used to wonder when the war will end. Now I worry about what will happen if the Allies can't stop him. The resistance in Holland is strong. Trust me, the Allies will stop Hitler. Keep your chin up, Freddy. There's hope for this world yet. At that moment in time, I did not believe the Allies would be successful. I couldn't help recalling Pete's failed prediction of an early end to the war. That night, I lay staring wide-eyed at the ceiling. I kept thinking to myself, When, when Hitler, Hitler dies, dies and goes to hell, will he be able to convince himself that he's in paradise? I got no sleep that night. The following afternoon, Robert came in with some bad news. The Germans have drafted father. General Christensen has ordered all 300,000 of Holland's veterans to report for duty in Germany. No one is safe. They'll lock him up and force him to work in some armaments plant. The Allies bomb factories. Workers are killed every day. Hello, boys. Have you explained everything? We were just discussing it. Well, I've just received more news. The Dutch have a plan to force the Germans not to draft veterans. How? Tomorrow, the entire workforce, coal miners, office and factory workers, agricultural laborers, all the Dutch workers are going on strike. Will it work? If everyone participates, it just might. All we can do is pray. I can do more than pray. I'll join you. I'll take to the streets with you, Father, and I'll stand with my countrymen. I'm sorry, son. You must stay here and take care of your mother and Annie. I'll feel better knowing that you're here at home. 
If something should happen to me, Robert, you'll become the man of the house. I know I can count on you both. Let's get some sleep, boys. You're going to need it. Good night, Freddy. Robert? Yes, Freddy? My father would join the strike too, if he could. I'm sure he would, Freddy. After all, he's a Dutchman. Good night. Good night. We got a prompt update the following day. Boys, I have news. Half a million workers went on strike today. It was a success then. No. Instead of negotiating with us, the general commissioner imposed a police state of siege. What can they do to half a million men? They've posted warnings that those who don't return to work tomorrow will be shot. Oh my God. One good thing though, the strike has made it clear to the Germans that the Dutch are not sympathetic to their cause. Are you striking tomorrow, father? I will be closed for business, but I will not demonstrate in the streets. Chin up, Robert, chin up. You too, Horst. The next morning, 80 strikers were sentenced to death by firing squad. This ended the strike. All the Dutch workers, including Mr. Arnen, returned to work. The strike failed in the short term. The Germans continued to draft Dutch veterans, but in quiet defiance, Mr. Arnen and many others simply refused to report to duty. So many Dutch ignored the order that with limited resources, the German government couldn't find and process most of them. Robert risked jail for not signing a loyalty oath and quitting school. Mr. Arnon could be dragged away to a German factory, and I was just one door knock away from being shipped to a concentration camp. The Allies have landed in Sicily. That's good. You better believe it's good. First Sicily, next Rome, and then Berlin. The Allies are advancing. But in reality, Sicily was far away. The Allies would have to fight through half the continent before reaching Holland. Robert was angered constantly by the state-sanctioned news. Liars! Read this. Dutch Christians have taken to attacking Dutch Jews. In desperation, Jews are throwing themselves upon the mercy of the German authorities, who are generously providing them a place of refuge in Poland. In gratitude, the Dutch Jews are giving all their possessions to the German people because they know how they are suffering great personal losses because of the Allied bombings. You mustn't forget to write a thank you note to the compassionate Mr. Hitler. Who could possibly believe this? It's another example of the big lie. I just feel like, I just feel that I should do something. I feel useless. I wish I could go out and look for my parents. That's ridiculous. What good would it do? I suppose it wouldn't really do any good, but I miss them so much and I'm lonely. Hiding is your only hope for survival, and Hitler knows it. There's now a reward for turning in Jews. How much am I worth? 75 guilders. How do you think they found some of the 10,000 Jews in the raids last week? How could they sell their humanity for a few guilders? The Dutch are as heartless as the Germans. 
Wait, Idiot. No. Go to hell. I I'm sorry. Every country has a treacherous few, but many in Holland share their rations and risk their lives daily in order to protect the Jews. They even deliver your fucking mail. I know. I'm sorry. That was a stupid thing to say. Please forgive me. After that, we seldom discussed the war. We just played chess. Winter came, the entire family came to my room with a special guest. Horst, we want you to meet someone. My daughter-in-law, Leah Paula. Leah, this is Horst. Leah has come to prepare for a concert she is to play with the Utrecht Symphony. I'm glad to meet you, Miss Paula. Hello, Horst. Please, call me Leah. She'll be staying here in the parlor, so you will have to sleep in the attic. Yes, Mrs. Onan. I've heard so much about you, Leah. I hope to hear you play. Tonight is the night you've been waiting for. Leah, would you consider giving us the honor? How can I say no? You are, dear. All right, everyone, take a seat, take a seat. We all quickly settled. Precise and expressive, she embodied every musical virtue. She played the section of Beethoven's Sonata No. 8, or Pathétique. left, leaving her in possession of the parlor for the night. Day after day, hour after hour, she practiced Beethoven's Concerto Number no. 3. I'd sit on the attic stairway and practiced along with her, using my knees as an imaginary keyboard. After a short while, I knew the piece by heart. The discovery of Beethoven was like finding a friend. The world was right, with Beethoven around. I would often get lost in it, and Annie would have to remind me to be more useful. Nothing to do? Hello, Annie. Why not make yourself useful? Here, take these. She handed me a box with scissors, a ruler, and a roll of white muslin inside. Can you manage to cut 10 centimeter strips from that cloth? Sure, Annie. Good. You'll improve with practice. Try to keep your mind on your work. It was easy work, and I was glad to be busy. The snips of the shears were familiar and hypnotic, until an abrupt interruption. The doorbell startled me, and I frantically picked up everything and began to run to the attic. Oh, no! I tripped and fell to the ground, cutting my thumb on the open scissors. Drops of blood were all over the hardwood floor. It's safe. Come down. It's only Magda. <gasps> oh, horse! I just cut my thumb. Let me see it. Let's go to the bathroom and wash this, so I can get a better look. My name is Magda, by the way. I'm Horst. 
Oh, I know. You're quite famous around here. Sorry we have to meet under these circumstances. Mrs. Onan and Annie began to offer their advice. Apply pressure above the cut and elevate his hand. Disinfect it with alcohol. Thank you both. I mean, I am just a nurse. What do I know? The cut is deep. How did you do that? I landed on the scissors. I was in a hurry and didn't close them. Can you stop the bleeding? He needs to go to hospital. He's completely ruined that shirt. It was a perfectly good one, too. Now, when can I get in there and clean up the mess? He needs stitches, Mama. We can't take him to the hospital, Magda. You know What's that. going on? Horst cut himself. Why'd you do that, Freddy? All right, Robert, I need some pliers and a large needle with white cotton thread, then boil them all. Annie, hand me the alcohol, please. Ouch. That's going to smart. This would work better with a curved needle. My feelings were hurt more than my thumb. I'd made a complete idiot of myself in front of the family, but both healed in time. One night, as we always did, Robert and I were playing chess. It was just another uneventful evening until Mr. Onan came in with some very unhappy news. I just got off the telephone with an underground source. The Gestapo will be paying us a visit. All the houses on this block will be searched tonight. Wait, you spoke on the telephone about this? Are you sure the phones are safe? <laughs> Don't worry, son. We're a little smarter than that. What he actually said to me was, My cat got loose. Keep watch out for me, will you? I knew what he meant. Where can we hide Freddy? Well, this house has no real hiding place. They will certainly find him when they search. What will I do? You must leave tonight. I'm going to meet someone who might be willing to transport you. Will I be coming back? I'm afraid not, Horst. I'll be back shortly. In the long run, you'll be safer somewhere else anyway. Soldiers could come after father, or even me for that matter. Either way, you'd be caught. Will they take your father tonight? No. They'll just be looking for Jews. You and your entire family have been good to me. It's been swell having you here, Freddy. I'm going to miss you. I'll miss you too. You're one of the best friends I've ever had. Take a deep breath, Freddy. You can do this. I know. An hour later, Mr. Onan arrived with a stranger in a brown hat. That's all I really remember about him. Godspeed, Horst. I'll have your things sent to you when I can. Let's hurry. Goodbye, Mr. Onan. Goodbye, Horst. The stranger started running as I just stood there. He stopped and looked back at me. I said, hurry. Where are we going? You want to know? Then don't dawdle. I'll keep up. Drizzle dampened my clothing. Now and then, cars with no headlights sped by. Ahead of us, an army truck approached and roared past, then stopped. I was relieved to be gone, but I was worried that the Onan family may be in great danger, especially Mr. Onan and Robert. It was raining now, and I shivered as I walked on. 
We turned a corner and a block away was the train station, where I had arrived a year and a half before. We entered the almost deserted lobby and sat on a bench waiting for our train. Everything seemed quiet and uneventful until a highly decorated SS officer strolled into the lobby holding a lit cigar in one hand and half a bottle of scotch in the other. <laughs> Where's the train? Train! Train! Ah, <laughs> uh, where is the fucking train? I order you to arrive, train. Don't you realize there is a member of the master race in your midst? <laughs> no, no, just joking. What a bunch of shit that is, eh? Well, hello, sir. Hello, little man. You there, this your son? Yes, sir. Ah, uh, cute Liebchen. He has your eyes, Papa. I have a son about your age. Haven't seen him, though, in about two years. Fucking war. So sorry, sir. We thank you for your sacrifice. All of us put up with these wartime hardships, but I could not imagine being away from my family for two years. My prayers are with you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, let me hug you both. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you both. So glad you folks are here. I am so drunk. <laughs> I hate being alone. Uh, by the way, uh, who, who are you? Uh, where, where are you going? We're headed to Amsterdam. Your papers? Come, where are your papers? Of course, sir. Here. <laughs> Shit! Fucking hell! We're all friends here. I was just joking. Of course, relax. Tonight, there is no war, yeah? Tonight, we are just three men waiting for a train. After you. Thank you, sir. Again, thank you for your sacrifice. Don't look back, just relax. Lucky for us, the German officer fell asleep shortly after he boarded the train. The stranger in the brown hat led me to a home not far from the train station. This is the boy. The stranger in the brown hat immediately ducked into the shadows. Hello, young man. I am Marguerite, and this is Gerda. Oh, praise God that you arrived safely. I'll show him where to sleep. Yes, please do. I'll lock up for the night. Follow me, please. Gerda and I never married. We have no experience raising a boy, but we'll do what we can to help you. This concludes part three of Harmony in Hiding, starring Terence McGovern as Fred, Clark Schutz as Horst, Michael Reed as Mr. Annan and German officer, Lynn Lewis as Mrs. Annan, Robert Garcia as Robert, Heather Shepherdson as Annie Annan, also starring Stephen Price as The Man, Margot Beely as Leopala, Magda, and Gerta, Christine Lowry as Marguerite, Chad Yarish as Stranger in a Brown Hat, Richard Banghart, sound engineer and designer, 
Bruce Vieira, sound effects and original music. Michael Paul Tomset, director. A special expression of gratitude to Ross Valley players of Ross, California and Marin County for allowing us to record at their facilities. And to Ross Alternative Works, now known as New Works at Ross Valley Players, and to the late James Dunn, who were instrumental in the early development of this play. Special thanks to Becky White for her support in working with the late Fred Ferber and writing her book, bringing this wonderful story to us. Thanks to the College of Marin Music and Drama Departments for their undying support to local theater and artistic groups in Marin County. And a very heartfelt thank you to the late and great Fred Ferber and his entire family. Thank you, Fred, for telling your story, and thanks to the Ferber family for your blessing and support. Those who enjoyed this program will also enjoy Becky White's book, Hiding Horst, Memoirs of a Jewish Boy, which can be found at goodreads.com. Search by title. For those of you who may live in the area, visit the Ross Valley Players in Ross, California for good quality community theater. You can find them online at rossvalleyplayers.com. Raw.